Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, just wanted to remind you that there is now another way you can listen to my stories. I have created a revolutionary new app called Chilling. And you can now try it for free for three days. There are hundreds of stories to listen to, multiple narrators, including myself, multiple genres of scary stories, and the revolutionary first-of-its-kind ambient sound menu. You can switch and adjust the ambient sounds you're listening to without affecting the story. For example, the rain you hear in the background on this podcast, well, you can switch it to a campfire or an eerie soundscape anytime you want without affecting the story you're listening to. You can also adjust the volume of the ambient sound, like rain or campfire, also without affecting the volume of the story. And the ambient sound will not stop between stories. It is absolutely game-changing, and you have to check it out. And it's only $2.99 a month. It's available now on iPhone and Android. Just search Chilling in your app store. Or just click the link in the description below to download and start your free trial now. It was a hot summer day. The humid air covered my body like a wet blanket as the powerful rays of sun landed on my shirtless body. I could hear the mild soothing sound of chimes that were gently played by the ocean breeze. As I looked down at the path in front of me, I counted dozens of small seashells scattered within the sands of the beach. Looking out at the horizon, I could see the ocean tide working its way down the shore, exposing the small patches of reef that were hidden by the sea during the day. While enjoying the peace and tranquility of the moment, my mind was full of excitement for the night to come. Growing up, my family had a decades-long tradition of hitching up the travel trailer once a year and taking a two-week-long vacation to Puerto Penasco, Mexico. Puerto Penasco, mostly known as Rocky Point to vacationers and tourists, is a small beach town in the northeastern point of the Gulf of California. Most people would have no idea that such a tranquil oceanfront destination is only a few hours' drive from Phoenix, Arizona's capital city. To this day, I vividly remember the trips from the back of our family suburban. I would look out the window and watch the landscape change from Arizona's high desert of pines, juniper trees, and rolling valley meadows to a gradually more and more barren desert. By the time you get to the rocky point, all you can see in the distance are rolling sand dunes with scattered desert plants and saguaro cactus. To anyone traveling there for the first time, the barren atmosphere can leave you wondering why you are even there, and why anyone would ever recommend rocky point as one's vacation destination. But once you enter town, you realize why the place comes so highly recommended. Rows and rows of outdoor booths line both sides of the main street. Vendors try to sell you clothes, knickknacks, decorations, and furniture, all of which have the flair and cultural undertones of Mexico's rich history. Perhaps the greatest of all, the best food that will ever pass your lips. I have always had a love for Mexican food, 
but sitting at a breezy beachfront restaurant, looking out at the anchored fishing boats that supplied the very shrimp in your tacos. Words simply do not do it justice. Rocky Point, Mexico is simply but a destination of peace, tranquility, and unparalleled recovery for the weary soul. Looking back, perhaps the surreal atmosphere, combined with my childhood naivety, left me with the feeling that nothing bad could ever happen in this wonderful oasis. One fateful night, however, would change my attitude for years to come. Being in my early teens, mischievousness was simply baked into my DNA. My brother and I, along with some friends, would frequently spend our evenings on the secluded low-tide beach lighting off fireworks we purchased from local vendors. Some fireworks were relatively harmless, such as Roman candles and bottle rockets. Other fireworks had a much bigger kick and were known to be loud enough to set off alarms for cars distantly parked within the beachfront trailer park. One evening, we had just lit off the last of our fireworks and started scheming on what other antics we could employ to keep ourselves entertained. One friend had a crazy idea of taking a nighttime swim in the ocean. These were known to be very calm waters, small waves with no major currents. Before we knew it, we had stripped down to our swimming trunks and headed in. The beaches in Rocky Point taper at a very shallow angle. Even after going out into open waters, a quarter of a mile, I could still stand on the bottom to keep my head above water. At some point, we decided it was time to head back. At this time of night, our only source of light on the waters were the stars, as well as a mostly full moon. On a night like this, the visibility is surprisingly good, with the water reflecting the moon's light in all directions. Despite the relatively good visibility, seeing under the water was simply impossible. As I looked down my body to see that the waterline was now about the height of my mid-waist, I had a bit of an uneasy feeling. It was not until that moment it occurred to me that if something were under the water with me, I would have no way of knowing it. Little did I know that my fear of the unknown was going to get much, much worse. As we waded through the water working our way back to shore, something bumped into the back of my legs hard enough to almost take my legs out from under me. I jolted forward, turning to look down at the waters behind me. I felt a tingling sensation run up my spine, and my hair stood up on end as I saw a light-colored blur disappear into the dark, murky waters. My heart began to pound so hard, the sound of my own heartbeat nearly drowned out the sound of my friends splashing and fooling around just in front of me. I felt a slight sense of relief, as I saw the head of my brother pop out of the water ahead of me, apparently swimming under the water as he often enjoyed doing. I called out to him, Micah, did you bump into me? What? He replied. When you were swimming underwater, did you bump into me? I asked again, with a slight cracking in my voice. I don't know, maybe. He replied, with a bit of a confused tone in his voice. After nearly defecating myself in fear, I felt enough sense of relief to make it back to shore without much fuss. I did not even tell my brother or the friends with us just what had happened, or what I saw. As scary as that incident was, the real fear came later when I mulled over the experience in my head. At the time, I thought it was likely my brother who hit my legs while swimming past me under the water, but that did not add up. When I turned to see the light blur disappear into the darkness, it vanished off to the side while my brother popped up in front of me. What is more, 
My brother popped out of the water at least 20 feet away, and there was only a second between the event and him appearing above the water. There is simply no way he covered so much ground in such a short time. The reality hit me like a ton of bricks. Something was in that water with me. Something big and strong enough to nearly knock me down. What was it? A shark? A dolphin? A sea lion? That is the scariest part. I will never know. And it haunts me to this very day. Since my experience, I have never found myself afraid to get into the water. But one thing is for sure. When you are in the water, you are in someone else's world. While attacks from sharks and other marine animals is relatively rare, you simply do not know what lurks beneath you. And it is that unknown that truly terrifies me. I was in the police force in the West Midlands, UK, for 10 years, mainly as a neighborhood officer, and patrolled either on foot or car. During one particular night shift during the winter, myself and a female officer were conducting marked car patrols in a neighborhood which traditionally was susceptible to burglaries during the run-up to Christmas. During this shift, we heard an open call on the radio from police control, stating that emergency services had received a panicked phone call from an address in the area we were patrolling, reporting about a possible intruder, and was asking for all officers available to make their way to that address immediately. Being the only officers in the area, me and my colleague made our way on blues and twos to the address. We arrived literally in minutes. The house the call had come from was large and old, probably early 1900s. Upon knocking on the door, we were answered by three girls in their mid to late teens and clearly utterly terrified. All speaking at once and making no sense, we had to calm them down and I asked the oldest to explain herself. She stated that they were hearing very loud footsteps coming from their attic and that this had been going on for around 10 minutes. While the eldest sister was showing me the attic entrance and explaining to me that nobody ever uses their attic, that's when all of us heard a very heavy and distinctive set of noises that sounded like footsteps above us. These footsteps sounded like someone walking from one side to the other, purposely as if stomping to get our attention. I actually remember the first thought in my head was, whoever is up there is big. Nonsense, of course, because you never know it was just the first silly thought in my head. Now, the three sisters started screaming and crying. My colleague asked the girls to go downstairs while I pulled the access ladder down, leading to the attic. Trying to stay as calm as I could, but with my adrenaline obviously going wild, I shined my torch upward into the attic, shouting, Police! No reply. Police! Come down now! Again, no reply. I had no choice. I had to go up and investigate. With my colleague right behind me, I crept up into the attic slowly, not knowing at all what to expect and not knowing who I was going to find. With just the top half of my head through the attic entrance hatch, I shined my torch in a circular motion around the attic. There was nobody. I crept up the access ladder slowly my main fear being that I was going to get hit in the head as I ascended. 
The attic was utterly empty and pitch black, and clearly had not been used in a long time, if at all. Me and my colleague entered the attic very slowly. At six foot two, walking around was hard, and I had to do so almost crouched. Absolutely nobody was up there. We both searched for some evidence of any presence. There was nothing. No sign of any entry or escape. But me, my colleague, and the three girls all heard those footsteps. Very loud and very distinct. On the write-up of this log, my colleague just wrote, No trace, and closed it. I reassured the girls that there was nobody up there, and they asked me to explain what the footsteps were, which I didn't know how to answer. I just said that old houses sometimes can make these kinds of sounds, and that I experienced this before. Of course, that was BS. I just didn't want them to be frightened. I didn't know what other advice to give, other than call a priest, but of course, I couldn't say that. I don't know what caused those sounds, but who knows. One thing I have learned from my time in the police, the living are far more frightening than the prospect of any ghost. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This story will be told from the point of view of my old roommate. This event happened shortly after we moved out and went our separate ways and still gives me chills to this day. I began moving into my new one-bedroom apartment with my boyfriend the day after the old lease ended. My apartment was small in size and on the bottom floor. There was a window in the bedroom that faces the outside walkway and the front door to our apartment. I spent the whole day carrying boxes from my boyfriend's truck to the apartment. I noticed a dirty-looking man in a rusty, beat-up red Toyota staring at us while we moved each box. He looked about 40, had round glasses with a very thin frame. His hair was stringy and thinning at the top, and looked as if it had once been white, but yellowed due to the lack of cleanliness. I wouldn't have given his gaze much thought, except he had been sitting in his car for nearly two hours now, not waiting for anyone, it seemed just staring at us, moving his head to keep his gaze as we moved from the truck to our building. I told my boyfriend, and he just shrugged it off, telling me that maybe he was just a neighbor trying to see who moved in. We just ignored the man and finished unloading boxes before settling in for the night. Fast forward to the next night. My boyfriend and I had unpacked most of the kitchen, so we were having a late dinner and ended up drinking some wine. It was about 12.30 a.m., and we were just talking and hanging out when we heard a slight tap on the window. It was strange. It wasn't as if someone were knocking on it, but more like as if someone had accidentally hit it with an object of some sort. I peeked through the blinds to find nothing but darkness outside. Without giving it a second thought, my boyfriend and I finished our dinner and wine, turned out the lights, and went to bed. We awoke around 2 a.m. to a soft knock 
on the door. My boyfriend, very tired and very irritated, got up from bed to go check the peephole to see who could possibly be trying to reach us at such an hour. He looked through the peephole to find a man standing outside the door, staring directly into the peephole. He sneakily made his way back to our room, carefully trying not to make any sound so whoever it was outside couldn't hear movement within the apartment. He went up to me and shook my leg a little bit, whispering that there was some creepy old man outside the door, just staring at it. I awoke immediately and slowly went to the window to see who it was. The blinds were raised about only an inch or so, so I tried to identify the man using the small sliver of window that was exposed. I saw a hand tapping on the window, tapping as if he was patiently waiting for someone to open the door for him. I froze in fear and waited. We heard the man turn around and leave. My boyfriend checked the front door to confirm that he wasn't outside the door anymore, as I was terrified to even peek out the window. We were so bugged out that we didn't end up sleeping much for the rest of the night. The next day, we were really anxious and worried about the situation, so we spoke with our front office and tried to explain what had happened. The front office basically said that maybe someone thought they were at the right apartment building and that it was just a mistake or a misunderstanding. It wasn't that big of a deal, and we needed to just not worry about it. They said that if it happened again, to try to identify the person, or talk to them to see what they wanted. Great advice, right? Later that night, we left the front porch light on to feel a little bit more safe. We locked all the doors and windows, and cuddled in bed with the lights off while watching some TV show on low volume. Eventually, we drifted off to sleep. I awoke around 2.20 a.m., to my boyfriend tapping on me, whispering, He's back. Wide-eyed with fear, I let out a small gasp. My boyfriend handed me a weapon and said, Don't use this unless you need to, and left the room. I was completely terrified, confused, and worried at this point, and decided to try to see who this creep was. I once again looked through the small sliver of window that was showing, but could only see their bottom half. I made my way to the front door where my boyfriend was, his face glued to the peephole. I asked if I could take a look, and instantly, I could make out who it was. I saw the yellowed, thinning hair and the glasses. It was the same man that was watching us move in a few days ago. I took a step back and began to silently freak out. We heard the man knock gently again on the door. He leaned in real close to the peephole, startling my boyfriend and causing him to let out a small gasp. The man leaned back, turned around, and immediately walked upstairs. We waited. We never saw him come back down. We never heard movement in the upstairs apartment either. Frightened, we went back to bed and didn't sleep until the sun came up. As soon as the office opened, we went in to report the incident, and one of the leasing managers looked distressed. She went on to tell us that this was the fifth report on similar incidents made by multiple tenants throughout the apartment complex. She told us that they were looking into it to find out who this person was. For about a week, we heard nothing, and no one came to the door during the dark hours of the night. We began to get back to our normal routine and paid no mind to the weirdness that we had experienced. About three weeks after that last incident, we received a call from the front office. Apparently, there was a disturbed tenant that lived in the complex 
and they always had really random and weird complaints about him. He was an older man, apparently had some issues in his past. They were calling to let us know that he was the one who had been randomly knocking on doors and sneaking around multiple buildings in the complex. They said that he had been evicted due to his behavior and that we wouldn't have to deal with him again. They apologized and then hung up. And that was that. We never heard weird noises in the night or saw his car in the parking lot after that. We continued to live out the rest of our lease and eventually moved out to a nicer apartment complex across town. It always stuck with me. I always got skittish during the nights and would check the windows multiple times before bed. I think the strangest thing to me was that the building we lived in wasn't even remotely close to the one that he apparently resided in. He had watched us move in and decided that's who he wanted to creep on in the middle of the night. If there's one thing that I learned, it's to listen to what that gut feeling inside is telling you. Always be aware of your surroundings and be careful with who is paying attention when you are not. The following events happened to my father in the late 60s when he was about 7 or 8 years old. I have changed the names for privacy. Growing up in a rural Canadian town to a poor family, my father Dean and his siblings never had much in the way of entertainment. Often left unsupervised, were all too frequently left to their own devices, giving them ample opportunity to indulge in interesting and sometimes dangerous activities. After accumulating several injuries this way, Rather than putting their foot down, Dean's parents chose a more hands-off approach. The children's misadventures became all too easy to ignore completely. On a warm summer evening, the sun still burning high in the sky, Dean found himself wandering the neighborhood with three of his good friends who lived nearby. Spending most of the day roughhousing and pulling pranks, the group of kids decided their fun just wasn't over yet and brainstormed on where to play next. One of Dean's friends, Thomas, suggested they go play in the local quarry as there were plenty of boulders and sand dunes to climb on. Being a year or so older than the other boys, Thomas's ideas always seemed like good ones, and so they all headed out to the big pit. Upon arriving at the quarry, dunes upon dunes of sand loomed over them, and the group of kids headed straight for the tallest one. They all took turns climbing up and sliding down through the sand. They were having what seemed like innocent fun, and had no idea their fun was about to quickly come to a terrifying end. Atop the dune, Thomas readied himself to slide down to his friends waiting below. Dean and the other two boys, Will and Jason, sat on the lower part of the dune cheering on Thomas. But as he began to slide, their cheers turned into screams of horror. With Thomas came an avalanche of heavy sand, engulfing the three boys entirely. Unable to stop, Thomas rode the wave of sand to the bottom of the dune and quickly realized that his friends were all buried alive in its wake. Frantically, Thomas started digging through the sand. A minute passed before he could hear a faint voice from beneath the dirt. He clawed and clawed until he eventually uncovered Dean, out of breath and pale as a ghost. Having been sat higher up on the dune than his two friends, Dean had been fairly close to the surface after the avalanche. The two continued to dig randomly, not knowing where or how deep Will and Jason were in the pile of sand. 
Realizing the severity of the situation, they knew they needed help. They separated, each running home as fast as they could. Dean burst through the door of his house, yelling to his parents that his friends were buried in the quarry and that he desperately needed help digging them out. Covered head to toe in sand and obviously distressed, his parents took one look at him and shook their heads. Rather than help and concern, he got a lecture. They didn't believe his story at all. He continued to beg them for help, but to no avail. Eventually, getting impatient, Dean fled the house to head back to the quarry, hoping that Thomas's parents hadn't been so ignorant. He arrived shortly to find Thomas, his parents, and several neighbors digging furiously through the sand. After several minutes, the boys' bodies were found amongst the sand, completely limp. It was too late. Ambulances came, and officers got details from Dean and Thomas. The two surviving boys never spoke again after the accident. Dean was never given any of the support or resources he needed to deal with the traumatic events that day. He lost his best friends in an instant, and has never truly found closure. It was early April, and I had just gotten home from a long day of shopping. I decided to get some dinner and watch videos on my phone for a while. A couple hours passed, and I decided I was bored and asked my parents if I could go on a walk. By this time, it was almost 7.30pm, and it was starting to get dark outside. But, I thought why not, since it would be a short walk. I grabbed my phone and headed down the stairs and out the door. I decided I would walk up a hill near my house certain that I would be back down before it was pitch black outside. This hill had a one-lane road going up it, with close to four-foot-tall grass on the side. Halfway up the hill, I realized I had underestimated how dark it was going to get, because by this time, I could barely see ten feet in front of me, because after all, a phone flashlight isn't very far-ranged. I reached the top of the hill and looked at my phone for a minute. Realizing it was at 20%, I turned to start back down the hill, but as I did, I saw a person walking with a flashlight up the hill. The person started waving the flashlight around in circles. I thought the person might be trying to get my attention, so I waited at the top for them to catch up to me, but as they got closer, I realized the mistake I had made. Now, I am not the type of person to judge, but this person was really scary looking. They had frizzy dark hair, a heavy coat on, Mind you, it was close to 70 degrees Fahrenheit outside, and long baggy pants. But what freaked me out the most was the sound they were making. They made a weird humming sound, but it sounded like they had their tongue on the roof of their mouth. It was a low sound. I was getting really nervous at this point, so I decided I wasn't going to wait for them. I started walking along the road again, hoping I could find another road to walk onto. My plan was to find another road and then sprint home. After they got up the hill and I could see them again, they screamed at me. It wasn't a word though, just gibberish. I started walking faster because at this point, it was totally pitch black outside, besides this person's light, and I could barely see because I turned my phone off to preserve the battery life. Finally, I saw a trail going into a patch of trees. I ran towards it. The person must have seen me start running because they picked up their pace. I was being chased. 
The trail started going downhill, and I could see some dim streetlights at the bottom. The person kept running after me, only to get faster as the trail headed down. After about five seconds of running, I hear the person grunt loudly, only to realize they had fallen. Their flashlight rolled down the hill. I didn't care. I just ran until I got back on a road. I eventually made it back home and told my parents what had happened. They scolded me and called me selfish because I didn't see if the person needed my help. But what they failed to realize is, if they really needed help, they would have said something instead of chasing me. Now I refuse to walk alone at night, and I highly recommend that you don't either. You never know who you might meet on a dark road. I am a mail carrier here in California. A big part of my job is delivering Amazon packages, and as you can imagine, my workload has increased significantly during the last year or so. As per usual, this has increased the number of strange encounters I have had. My current route for the past six months led me through multiple subdivisions of large, beautiful homes, like swimming pools with hot tubs in every backyard. Given the past year, I have noticed people mainly older folk, have really taken to coming outside to talk to me across their yards. I don't mind at all, but try to keep it short so I don't fall behind on deliveries. One of my favorite residents is an older lady, who I will call Mrs. Lithgow, for the sake of this story. She must be well into her 70s, and loves to chat about everything going on in the neighborhood. It's not unusual for her to report back that so-and-so has left their lawn unattended for two months or that they have strange visitors at odd hours. I usually just nod and smile. The house across the street from Mrs. Lithgow was only listed for sale for a few days when it was purchased really quickly. Shortly thereafter, my truck began to fill up with Amazon packages for whoever lived there. Mrs. Lithgow noticed right away and told me a week later that the packages would stay in their pile until nighttime and then will have disappeared by morning. This didn't seem strange to me at the time. Mrs. Lithgow became further concerned and began telling me that there always seemed to be a lot of screaming coming from the house later in the evening. I hadn't heard anything, but my deliveries were always earlier in the morning. My first strange encounter was dropping off a stack of packages. I had loaded my arms way higher than I'm supposed to and was waddling up the path. I felt my foot hit something hard and thought I felt it break. I set the stack down, and to my horror, realized I had kicked a bag of garbage that had fallen open. Sticking out of the top was a jar, with what looked like blood inside. It was leaking onto the hot stone path, and as soon as I had stopped, the smell was unbearable. I also noticed that there was a creepy doll in the bag. I quickly finished my delivery and got out of there. I thought about calling the police, but honestly... I was afraid to, so I talked myself out of it. Mrs. Lithgow approached me a few weeks later, telling me that she had finally met the homeowner. After the whole bottle incident, I was pretty interested to know who lived there. Mrs. Lithgow said it was a petite, pink-haired woman who said she was living there with her autistic charge. Mrs. Lithgow thought it was so strange that this young woman lived there alone with this other person, but no one was ever seen coming or going. 
I chalked it up to the virus and went on with my day. Mrs. Lithgow, however, did not. The next day, she came racing to the side of the road. I had to remind her to stay six feet away, but she was shouting that there had been an incident. Apparently, the woman living in the house and the man she cared for had been spotted outside in the backyard. Kids were playing a few houses down and came running in yelling that the autistic man had threatened to kill them after yelling at them. Do you know who I am? I'll admit, I wanted to know more, but didn't have the time to ask questions. Another time, she told me that pink smoke had billowed out of the house and two people came running out, screaming. After that, I didn't see Mrs. Lithgow as she had left town to visit one of her kids. The house stayed quiet, and I continued to leave stacks and stacks of packages there. I began to notice that the names on the packages were often different, lots of times just being fat goblin, quote-unquote, and other weird things. I once ran into two electricians leaving the house. As I passed them, one of them said, That house is full of cat feces. Full of it. When my route was slightly altered so their address was later in the day, I also started to hear the yelling that I think Mrs. Lithgow had been referring to. It definitely was a grown man, and he was constantly yelling almost incoherent things like, Me cause crying. At first, I thought he might have been yelling at me, but several times, I noticed he was yelling before I even approached the house. I thought maybe it was linked to his diagnosis. Honestly, none of these occurrences were that weird to me, given some of the other experiences I have had. A few weeks ago, I had to deliver a package that required a signature. I had never actually seen anyone there myself, but I knocked anyways. I heard a small shriek and shuffling about. Concerned, I walked toward the side of the house, but still in front, and yelled, Uh, hello? I need a signature for a package here. The shuffling continued. I went back to the front door to knock one last time, and to leave a note letting them know where they could pick it up. I suddenly heard loud and fast stomping from inside the house. I peeked into the glass of the door to see if someone was coming. It was a stocky man, dressed in a spandex suit from head to toe. He was holding some kind of weapon and waved it in the air. I stepped back in shock. I froze just for a second, long enough to hear him yell, You're not safe here. That was enough to get me moving again. I turned and began to run. As I raced down the driveway and back into my truck, I could now fully see the man, holding his weapon, yelling, I kill. I took off. I called my supervisor immediately, but was told there is nothing we can do about it, because technically, I was on his property, and he never directly threatened me. I still think I should have called the police. I began leaving the packages at the end of their driveway, and have not heard or seen anyone in that house again. On the morning of March 20th, 2021, I saw a post online stating that the Boeing X-37B orbital test vehicle would be visible in the night sky over the northern United States and southern Canada. I have never really been that interested in space to be honest, but I do enjoy stargazing from time to time, and it was a clear night, 
so I decided to head out into the hills to try and catch a glimpse of the craft. I tried to convince my boyfriend to come with me, but he was too busy playing Fortnite or whatever shooter game was popular at the time. I threw an old lawn chair into the back of my new Toyota Tacoma and drove 15 minutes outside of town to where I knew there was a lookout. It was at the end of a long dead-end dirt road that went up the backside of a ski hill and came out into a large open area that overlooked part of the resort, but more importantly, gave an incredible view of the stars. I was hoping that no one else would be up there, since it was the closest thing we had to a lover's lane, where teenagers would go to fool around in their parents' cars. Fortunately, I got lucky that night, as the little parking area was completely deserted. I set up my lawn chair on the grass a few feet away from my truck, and gazed up at the beautiful night sky. Even with the almost full moon lighting up the night, there was an incredible amount of stars visible. It was almost overwhelming, especially considering I really had no idea what I was even looking for. I was assuming that I wouldn't actually be able to see the craft itself, and that it would just be some moving lights in the sky, but I didn't know for sure. Every plane passing overhead gave me a little rush, until I realized what it was. Finally, 8.45pm rolled around, exactly when the post online said it would appear, and there it was, coming over the horizon from the west, this glowing orb of light moving quickly across the night sky. It had a faint ring around it, kind of like the full moon often gets on a clear night, and I knew right away it had to be the craft. I tried to snap a few pictures, but of course, phone cameras can never capture the true beauty of the night. After about five minutes, it had disappeared off to the east, and I was getting cold, so I decided to head home and packed up my chair and got back into my truck. A funny thing about the new Toyota Tacomas is that they come with a GoPro mount on the windshield, just to the right of the rearview mirror. I guess Toyota finally noticed that these trucks are almost exclusively purchased by outdoor adventure seekers. I am no exception to that, and sometimes liked to record footage of my drives on scenic back roads on my way to and from a mountain biking trail to add to the video. Oftentimes though, this meant that I would get home and leave the camera on my windshield. Well this time apparently was no exception, because as I got back in the truck, I noticed the camera sitting there next to my mirror, and laughed to myself that I had done it again. Then I noticed something strange. The camera was on, and the little red recording light was blinking. Normally, if I left my GoPro in the truck, or even unattended somewhere in the house, the battery would just die, and I definitely didn't turn the camera on, so this was really weird. I was curious though, as to whether or not the camera picked up anything since it was a rather bright night out, and my truck was pointed in roughly the right direction that it might have picked up the craft coming over the horizon. I pulled up the GoPro app on my phone to have a look at the footage, and was expecting to see some of the drive there, but the video started with the truck already parked at the lookout. I wasn't in the shot sitting in my lawn chair, so it was pretty much just a shot of the sky. I saw briefly what I believed to be the craft in the corner of the video, but it was hard to tell on such a small screen with terrible video quality due to the low light conditions. I was about to turn the video off when I noticed movement off to the right. A large dark shape that I couldn't quite make out was moving towards the truck. As it got closer, I could see it more clearly as it was above the horizon on the video, so it was silhouetted against the bright night sky. It was a huge animal. Based on its height, 
It had to have been at least eight feet tall on its hind legs. I couldn't tell if it was horns or ears protruding from its head, but it definitely had something on top. It turned its head, and I caught a flash of red in its eyes as it did, and then it disappeared from the video. That was all I could take. I started the truck and peeled out down the dirt road, sending gravel everywhere as I went. I had been sitting out there mere feet away from this creature, without even knowing it was there. I kept expecting it to leap out of the trees any second and flip my truck with its massive arms or something. But it didn't. Every little shadow my headlights cast on the trees made me jump, thinking it was the animal. I just couldn't get that image of its silhouette out of my mind. I made it to the main road and flew back towards town doing well above the speed limit, and when I got back to the house, my heart felt like it was going to explode. My boyfriend was obviously quite concerned when he saw me walk into the house in tears and asked me what was wrong. I could barely string a sentence together and told him to have a look at the video. I handed him my GoPro and my phone, and he tried to get it to work, but couldn't. He pulled the SD card out and put it into his laptop, and while he was doing that, I calmed down enough to somewhat describe what had happened. To my dismay, when he tried to pull up the video, the footage was all corrupted. Some skiing footage from the winter still left on that card was fine, but the one clip I needed to prove my story was gone. My boyfriend said it was probably just a bear, since they had been known to walk on their hind legs, and showed me several videos of bears doing just that. Even that's not exactly a comforting thought, but unfortunately, I don't think it was a bear anyway. All the videos he showed me of bears walking on two legs looked almost comical, since they really do look more like a human in a bear suit than a real bear. The way they move is rather clumsy, in stark contrast to the very smooth and methodical movements of the beast that I had seen. The silhouette also didn't look the same, but without the video footage to directly compare, and only my panicked memory to go on, who knows what it truly was. All I know is, I definitely will not be venturing out into the woods alone at night, ever again. I firmly believe that no technical error with my GoPro could have possibly turned it on at that exact right moment to capture the beast, and that whatever the beast was, it must have had something to do with the camera turning on, and I also believe it had something to do with the corrupt footage. It didn't want me to be able to prove its existence, but it definitely wanted me to see it, and to know that it was watching me, possibly as a warning not to trespass on its territory again. I am a 27-year-old man from Dallas, Texas, and as far back as I can remember, I have always had some sort of weird intuition about things, places, etc. My mom even says as a kid, I used to sleepwalk. She would tuck me into bed, go through the bathroom to my sister's room. Hers and my bedroom were connected through the bathroom at that time. And she said that when she would get to the stairs, there I would be, just standing there staring at her, very unaware of anything. Other times, she said she would wake up, and I would be standing next to her bed, just staring at her. But that's just a little backstory. When I was 24, I'm 27 now, I had just gotten into a relationship with my now ex-boyfriend, who is still my best friend. We had been at my place chilling and hanging out, having a great time. 
and he had gotten up to use the bathroom while I stayed on the couch, trying to find something else to watch. And while he was in the bathroom, I suddenly started noticing the lights begin to flicker. Now, to any normal person, this is no big deal really, and it wasn't really to me at first either. That is until I began to hear what sounded like my mother's voice calling my name, from what sounded like outside my front door, coming up the stairs. I looked at my phone and saw that it was 12.30 at night, and started to panic a little about what she could possibly be coming to tell me so late. So I got off the couch to let her in before she could knock, but when I opened the door, she wasn't there. She wasn't coming up the stairs. I went to the outside balcony and her car wasn't even outside. My boyfriend came out of the bathroom and asked me what I was doing with the door open, and I told him, I thought I heard my mom. He responded, confused. This late? We both chuckled and sat back on the couch to watch a movie, but I remember, I wasn't feeling comfortable anymore. It was about 2am when my boyfriend and I decided to call it a night. I walked him out the door, kissed him goodnight, and before he walked down to his car, he turned and looked at me sort of puzzled and said, be safe. Now this may not seem weird or eerie, but the thing about it was, I was at my home. We usually would only tell each other when we were leaving the other's house and driving home, and the way he said it, as if he was absolutely terrified that this was the last time that we would see each other, I told him, I will. Watched him get into his car and drive away. I went back into my apartment and immediately went to my room to go to bed. I laid down and turned on an episode of Golden Girls. I began to feel myself drifting off to sleep and eventually just fell asleep. While I was sleeping, I kept feeling like someone was entering my room. I kept sensing my bedroom door opening and closing, and someone just hovering, watching me. I found myself not being able to wake up and see what was actually going on, but also knowing it wasn't an episode of sleep paralysis, which I have also experienced. The final time I sensed my door opening, a figure popped into my head and was standing in my room. At first I couldn't make it out, but then my mind cleared, and it was Scar from The Lion King. At least, the head was Scar. He was wearing a black suit, and had human legs and glowing red eyes. He stood in my doorway. He flicked out one of his claws on his paw, like you do a switchblade in an old movie. And I remember it being a really loud flick. He licked his lips and said, Rest now, young one. After that, I just remember being awoken by my phone ringing. It was my mom. I answered groggy and still half asleep to her asking, Are you okay? Something told me to call and check on you. I sat up and realized it was daylight outside. I looked down at the phone and also saw that it was 12.30 in the afternoon. I rubbed my eyes and said I was fine, just trouble sleeping. I then asked, had she come by my place last night at all? And she said, I was going to, but I decided to head home instead. How did you know? I lied and told her I didn't, just asked. Now call me paranoid or crazy, but as soon as I moved out of that apartment, I had actually forgotten about this whole ordeal until my ex asked me recently, Do you remember that time your mom came over at like midnight? It actually sent chills down my spine when the whole night came flooding back to me. Scar has only come back twice since I have moved, and sometimes, randomly, I can still hear the flick of his nail. 
Lion King nightmares. They are the worst. I live in a rather rural area, the kind of place where you both know what to expect and don't know what to expect. People here tend to be latched onto the older way of thinking and living, and I'm all for that. That being said, it is easy to assume that nothing much happens here, at least, nothing that would really raise any red flags. The thing is, about five years ago, something abnormal did happen. Five years ago, I thought I was going to lose my life due to a case of wrong place, wrong time in the parking lot of an all-you-can-eat buffet. I was in middle school at the time and was having one of the worst school years yet. Luck didn't seem to be on my side, so of course this day wouldn't be any different. My family, grandpa, mom, and little sister, had gone to church that morning and had taken my friend and her younger sister as well. Once it was over, my mom decided that we would treat ourselves to an early lunch and headed over to a local all-you-can-eat buffet. It was a humble place, and the atmosphere of the farm around it was peaceful. It lulled you into a sense of security. We were waiting in the lobby area, sitting on a bench, when two women came in. They both seemed to be in their forties. The taller woman was obviously the leader of the two and the shorter woman seemed to hang back, letting the other do the talking, chiming in here and there. The taller woman was gushing over how adorable my sister was to her. She was in elementary school at the time, and kept saying how she looked like a princess. We thought she was just an overly expressive and nice woman, and left it at that as we walked to our table and got settled in. Fast forward, and we are eating dessert. I had gotten my usual, that being a mixed vanilla and chocolate ice cream topped off with Oreo bits, caramel, and two marshmallows covered in chocolate from the chocolate fountain. Yes, I know. I kinda went overboard. But whatever. I was a kid. I was about three-fourths of the way done with my dish when the two ladies suddenly appeared at our table. I immediately thought it was odd that they deliberately searched us out in there, but kept eating. The lead woman got to talking about herself and revealed she was a church official. She claimed to work in a sort of crisis center at her church, located in Delaware. Her friend, I cannot remember whether she actually told anything about herself, but if she did, none of us can recall it. They then told my mom and grandpa that they had a gift for my sister, and I admit, I was kind of jealous upon hearing that. Of course, she was getting a gift. The woman pulled some letters out of her purse and showed them to my mom and sister, she told us that she was pen pals of a sort with Princess Kate. I later would learn from my mom that the letters were basically automatic replies, not actual letters from Kate herself. So, nothing special really. It's like the equivalent of getting the answering machine to a secretary in the mall. But nonetheless, my mom went along with it. Then, to my surprise, the woman said she had a gift. For me... But unlike the gift from my sister, which had been in her purse, she said mine was in her car. Red flags immediately went up in my head. There was no way I was going with this random lady, alone, out to her car. My mom, to this day, I have no idea what she was thinking, told her that I could go, so long as my grandpa went with me. My grandpa gave my mom a what-are-you-talking-about 
Why should we go with them? Look, and turn to me. I hesitated, but we walked out with the two women. At this point, knowing the head woman was a church official, I figured she was going to give me a Bible or something. My grandpa, in his late fifties, seemed uneasy and stuck close to me. As we approached the car, I saw that it was in fact not a car at all. It was a van. A white van. Cliché, I know, but it's the truth. We followed the two women over, and the leader walked over to the passenger side. We were right behind her, but had failed to notice the other woman lagged behind and placed herself between us and the exit between the van and the other car. The lead woman was in front of us, meaning we were boxed in. No way out. The leader unlocked her doors and pulled open the sliding door, ducking inside. My grandpa seemed to tense up, his eyes darting around. He had noticed the other woman was blocking us off and was on edge. He had a bad feeling about this and was fully prepared to fight these women to save me, if need be. Then, something that I never would have dreamed of happened. The woman, after rummaging around in her van, emerged, wielding a sword, and not some fake prop sword that you get at Party City or something, a legit sword. Glinting in the gray autumn light, its hilt adorned with details and jewels, I just about crapped my pants. I thought this was the end. I was going to die by the blade of some psychotic church official in the parking lot of a rural buffet. My grandpa's eyes went wide, and I saw his hands clenched into fists, and he prepared to knock this woman out. This seemed to go in slow motion, taking forever, but was only a few seconds. And then, as my life flashed before my eyes, this woman asked us what our names were. The sword was still in her hand, but she didn't swing it at us. I was terrified, thinking this woman was the kind of killer who likes to know her victim's name before doing the deed. I told her my name. She then performed a small ceremony, reciting some religious statements and lowered the blade to touch both of my shoulders, one at a time. She then brought it down to my head and raised it, bringing it in front of herself, straight into the air, and proclaimed me, Sir, insert my name, a knight of God. She asked the same of my grandpa, and after getting his name, did the same for him. She told us that she hoped we liked our gifts, and still shell-shocked, we thanked her, and my grandpa and I left the two women. We speed-walked inside, found our table, and proceeded to fill my mom in on what just happened. She didn't believe us at first, but we soon convinced her. My grandpa and I both scolded her for making us go out with these women. My grandpa was especially angry. If that woman had other intentions with that sword, we would both be dead. The women didn't come back over to us, and oddly enough, we didn't see them when leaving. We never saw those women again, and suffice it to say, I'm glad. They weirded me out, and I just hoped they went back to Delaware where they belonged. Maybe they could knight other random strangers along the way. It's been half a decade now since my grandpa and I were proclaimed knights. My close friends sometimes refer to me as Sir, which I find funny. I never let my mom live that down either, prodding her about it whenever I get the chance. All in good fun, of course. It's also a fantastic story to tell people and get them interested in you. And no one I have met has been able to top me when we get to sharing. Now, 
One last thing has always lingered in the back of my mind, something that still unsettles me to this day. About two weeks prior to this event, there had been some beheadings a few states over that had made the news. It makes me wonder, could it have been those two women? Was I knighted by a murderer 